Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 16th episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I'm your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to Tom England of Evergrey about how they write songs. Today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid and their awesome splits feature. This is the DistroKid feature that I have for sure used the most. Basically, you can easily split all the incoming money from any given track or album between yourself and unlimited collaborators. For example, if you and a friend collaborate on a track, you can set the split at 50-50 when you upload it, and then DistroKid will automatically split all of the incoming revenue, and he'll never have to worry if you're holding out on him. Your collaborators will need to make a DistroKid account, but they'll get a 50% discount, so it's only 10 bucks. As always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. Be sure to head over to distrokid.com slash VIP slash GG for 7% off your first year. So now, their new album dropped this past Friday. A Heartless Portrait, The Orphean Testament is Evergrey's 13th studio album. Please give a warm welcome to my guest, Tom England. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Heck yeah, dude. So awesome to finally get you on. Um, I think the last time I saw you was on 70K, on the 70,000 tons of metal, I don't know, is it two years ago now? Maybe three? No, it must be more. It must be like four years ago. Four years? Damn. At least. A throwback to simpler times when we could do stuff like that. It's coming back. They're doing it again this year, but crazy. Might be time for you to go uh, go back on if it's been that long. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I would love to go anywhere right now. So let's go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome to see you again. I've been spinning your new album quite a bit, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Literally just dropped on Friday. Um, How are you feeling about it? I mean, as always, relieved, super stoked, and super happy about the great feedback we've been getting so far. It's, uh, I mean, it's something that you never can take for granted at all, and we we never do. Now it's not our album anymore. It's it's you guys' album, so uh, I'm just eager to hear what people have to say about it. And a bit tired of speaking about myself, to be honest to you. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a bad start on this interview. (laughs) No. I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. You know, you're like, I made this thing. It speaks for itself to an extent, but people want to know all this stuff about it. Uh, Although I suspect, I don't know, do you, have you talked much about the actual process of writing the songs with other, with other interviews? You can be honest. I won't feel cheated on. Maybe not that in depth. Uh, just like the usual process, like very quickly, because, you know, ordinary heavy metal magazine readers are more interested in the metal aspect, not the process that much, you know. So how much metal is it? And then <laughs> that's what we're talking about. <laughs> I guess. Did you put in a lot of the metal? Yeah, I, I, would say, I would say so, yes. <laughs> Probably most of the metal we've ever put into an album, I think. So No, I don't. I say that all the time, so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's what you got to say every time. It's our heaviest and most melodic yet. Most atmospheric, heaviest, best, and all that great stuff. And it calls back to our early, earlier material, which you guys really like. But something uh, fresh to it as well. Yeah. Well, on this podcast, there's really only one question, and then everything else is a follow-up question to that question, and that is, what is the Evergrace songwriting process like? 
And was it the same this time around, or did you do anything different? Having written and released 13 Evergrey albums now, of course, they have, we, have, we have worked in many different ways. But for the last five albums, we have come to sort of uh, realize a working process that is working extremely well for us. Uh, and it starts with us doing our own demos by ourselves, alone, all the five of us. And we do that for a bunch of weeks, like maybe f for this album, it's like four, four to six weeks. And then we met up and listened to the first initial ideas that we had. We also released an album like a year ago as well. So, so it's been a very hectic time for us. But uh, since with the COVID and all that, we had more time on our hands, right? So we yeah. just wanted to take advantage of, of, of what we had for free. So yeah, so we, we went into our studio, started writing, and we came back and met after like six weeks, I think it was. And we had 50 song ideas from the various members. So we didn't struggle with any writing blocks or anything like that. So we just, but that's how we usually do it too. And no matter how much material we have, that's how we start. And then we sort of start listening to everything and, and try to figure out what everybody's feeling hot for, you know, uh, what, what is giving us a heart, <laughs> basically, you know, so, and that's, that's what we want to concentrate on. So, so then we do that and then we're maybe down to 20 song ideas and then we go back and me and Jonas, the drummer, usually starts to produce songs of the, out of these initial ideas that we have both in my studio and in his studio and by, by ourselves. So, and then we have maybe, yeah, like 20, 20 ideas that is more elaborate and more focused in a sense. And then we meet with the band again and then, then we all, the five of us, discuss what we have done so far and if we're still feeling great about a song or whatnot. So a very de democratic way of working in a, in a sense, even though we are two guys who's producing the the songs it's still everybody has their say and if one guy thinks it's this really sucks <laughs> then he has to prove his uh -huh. point you know if four other guys feels it's great you know and vice versa if one guy feels uh, a song is great but the rest of us don't feel that he has to make his case and that's actually happened on this album for a song called call out mm -hmm. the dark where the keyboard player Rickard had this keyboard intro and we were like yeah well yeah, you know <laughs> not super super excited it sounds great but but then he really took, uh, you know, took advantage of, of of the power he has in the band and, and started to, he met with Jonas on, on his own and sort of produced the idea that he heard in his head and then presented us, presented it to us again. And then it was like, okay. aha, it's easy to dismiss ideas at, uh, you know, first time you hear them. But at the same time, that also gut feeling is also great. If I don't hear that I can do something great with something, then it sort of dies already there, right? You know, if I... I'm thinking this as a verse. If somebody else says that, I'm just like, I don't hear myself singing over this at all. And we split everything five ways, so it's not it's not about like any economic egos or anything like that. So it's just purely about what is the best song that the five of us can agree on. Long answer. Oh, it's. I hope it gets longer than that. As you're producing these demos at home for the first wave of ideas, how fleshed out are they um, when you present them? To the whole band, pretty fleshed out, band. pretty fleshed. Out. I mean, but but it's also different. Uh, Henrik, uh, the guitar player, he, he presents his ideas as guitar's ideas only. He doesn't put any emphasis on the sound and and uh, you know whatever. He just this is the riff, okay. Mm -hmm. So either you get it or you don't, right? Right. Uh, whereas me and Jonas, we really produce it. It sounds not very far from what you will hear on the album. So, and uh, Rickard obviously does all of his stuff 
more keyboard based uh, as he's the keyboard player and Johan the bass player he, he does drums bass and guitars so but pretty fleshed out you know we don't want to write the full song on our own but we still at the same time want to sort of convey this is what we see or hear or feel and want to make you understand and feel that way too you know yeah do you like uh like will you program drums and put some bass parts on it and stuff like that yeah everything so and it sounds like some, some parts yeah. even have uh, for this album we even wrote when we did when we had decided on the 10 songs we 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 wanted to go with or 11 or whatever it was we immediately started recording as we were writing and finishing the songs so everything you hear is what was written in the moment, but we also decided that we would do it perfectly, make sure the guitar is in damn tune, you know, because I've yeah. done that so many times. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> Too bad the guitar is out of tune. You know, it's like, <laughs> so you have to re-record it, relearn the whole process and all that. So when it was time for the drums and bass to, to start, uh, when we had to start recording the drum and bass, they already had finished tracks for vocals, guitars and solos and keyboards and everything. So oh, they wow. recorded onto us, basically. Uh, so yeah, very fleshed out. So do you guys get together and play them as a band at all, or are you you're you're writing and recording and you never jam them out beforehand? No, not some riffs uh, we do for this album we didn't uh, at all. Uh, some riffs you know you write on tour and, and then ah listen to it and you can do it on soundcheck, but it's a very inconvenient mm-hmm. inconvenient way of writing for yeah. for me personally. You know, so I've never understood how people could do that. That's crazy to me. <laughs> no, it's like that's amazing. I would need a whole bus by myself sitting and yeah. you know. Close that door and leave me alone and all that stuff. <laughs> I've only been on proper tour one time, but it's like you can't do you can't do anything. You can barely like it's enough work just getting dinner and like coffee. Like forget like writing and jamming. Yeah, sure. But I mean, you you get used to it and you find your ways. And I mean, some people are extremely talented doing that. Like Ed Sheeran, for instance. He he did all of his albums on tour. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. He has what you just described, though. He has his own bus. It's he him, it's him and the producer, you know? and he goes straight from the concert into the back lounge of the bus and starts recording. Yeah. Well, good for him. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a big move. <laughs> what is it like to sort of, as you're narrowing these ideas down and you're sort of, like, you, like you're saying, you have to sort of sell it to the to the rest of the band a little bit um is it like is it ever nerve-wracking are you ever like oh man i wrote this and i don't know if the guys are gonna like it yeah and i mean and i want to make sure that we get this straight that it's not me selling it to them it's also them selling it to me and vice versa yeah because music for me is everything it's the most important thing there is you know so it's not something that i take lightly at all it's uh, something that put my heart and soul into and the five of us all do that. So for yeah, it's extremely, it's a sensitive thing too, you know. <laughs> but we have come to the point where we, where we need to be blunt about things. It's like this is not, you know, cutting it for me. I'm not feeling anything. And uh, now today we know that it's not, we're not saying shit just to make somebody, you know, feel bad or, you know, cutting their songs or whatever it is. It's it's purely about those songs that we, the five of us, feel the strongest about. That's cool. It, it, I always say that, like, you're your own first audience, you know, when you're writing a song. If you're writing with other people, then your second audience is the rest of the band. And it sounds like you have to, you know, you guys are sort of, like I said, like selling them to each other, or like, you know, presenting them to each other, like, oh, I hope you... So you all have to... Like really like it first, and then 
eventually presenting it to other people. So that's that's a that's a, a kind of a cooler multi-step process, like a vetting process for these songs. Yeah, I mean that. I mean honestly, that's where the real production is happening. The song product song production is happening there and then in our headquarters, and then we go back again and we do this back and forth a bunch of times until we have the finished result more or less, and then. I can go back and start writing the vocal top line for what, whatever we have, and Henry can go back and write his parts of his solos, and everybody can work on their individual instrument to perfect the songs that we have decided that we want to write, right? And now, now that we, we are also set on the idea that we record bass and drums together live on top of the tracks that are already finished, that makes so much more sense, you know? Because if I can make my vocals, which is the first thing that the audience will hear and react to often. Uh, and uh, if I have the room to do that without fucking up somebody's drum roll or whatever it might be, you know, then yeah. there will be enough space for everyone. And everybody knows that, oh, damn, here's a great place where I can put the emphasis on whatever you want to do, you know. And uh, yeah. But that's those things were sort of totally lost in the beginning of our career where and I guess in in most people's careers uh, where we record the vocals last drums first you know it's like why today you can record in any order you want make it make the song happen right so yeah so we learned about we learned a lot during the years I mean it's we released albums for 25 years so it would suck if we didn't get better at it right so (laughs) If nothing else, you don't want to be getting worse. Sure. But yeah, it's a constant learning process. When you're writing the songs, your song uh, ideas to start, generally, how does it start? Does it start with a guitar riff? Does it start with a lyric idea? It's so different. For me, usually I take a morning walk. Like I live out on the west coast of Sweden, far away from people. I hardly meet anyone ever. So I can walk for six months without meeting anyone during the winter half of the year. Uh, wow. And that's when my sort of thought process is being fueled by being alone, in a sense, right? So I can walk there, and then all of a sudden I get like a like a line of a lyric, and then that lyric line sort of starts painting a world for me that I, you know, that I want to put into musical notes, if that makes sense, you know. So mm-hmm. so that's usually how it works. It's it's a line, or it's it's a, like a rhythm, or you wake up in the middle of the night, like every other musician in the world, like. I can't sleep, but I have this drum beat in my head, you know? So it's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 I, and I use my iPhone, and I sing in all of my ideas while I walk, and sometimes you get home, and, 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 you, and you start listening back to the, all of these ideas, and it's like, what the hell is this? You don't understand anything. It doesn't make any sense. What's I was like, it's like, what? Yeah, whatever. So it's a lot of those things. I think I got like 1,000 ideas on there that I don't know what it is, you know? (laughs) I'm always telling people you got to be receptive all the time to this kind of thing. And you got to get it all down as while it's fresh, because even though so much of it, like, I, I don't know about what percentage of ideas you put down that are good. Mine's like at least 50% trash, but you know, and then there's 50% that are like pretty good, 30% that are like maybe usable. And then you get the one that's fucking magic. And if you hadn't in your phone, it would have been lost. Yeah. And that's also the thing. I mean, one of the key elements of songwriting and the biggest lessons that I've learned is that you, there is music that you will, will have to write that will never end up anywhere in order to get to the songs that you were just describing that will end up on an album or 
sold to some other artist or whatever. But so that's before before I was extremely worried about. Oh, I put uh, eight hours into this riff. What the hell does that matter if it sucks? You know, <laughs> get it out of your system and move on to the next thing. So that's the biggest lesson for me to understand that there is music that you have to write in order to get to the good stuff. You know, it's like a cleansing thing, right? So, but the other thing is also going to work. Get up, get off your ass, go to work every day, start writing. Don't sit and wait for inspiration. Inspiration will come when you work, hopefully, you know? And uh, because some people need to feel sad or happy or I don't know, you will feel what the music will tell you to feel, I think, in a sense too, right? So it works both ways, so. But if you sit down and you make up your mind that today I'm at least gonna write one riff or one melody or one sentence, that usually leads to three, four, five ideas or, and then you might have one that you're happy with at the end of the day. So. Let's talk a little bit about where it goes once you've got one of these little snippets of an idea and now it's time to go to work. You've got or let, you've got tons of them. You pick one out that you're like really feeling, right? How do you generally go about developing it? Like maybe use an example from the album. I really like the the I guess it's the title track, the Orphean Testament. Maybe tell us a bit about how that came into being from a nugget of an idea. But that actual guitar riff that you hear there now is based on a guitar riff that the drummer Jonas wrote. And I was like, there is something here in this guitar riff that is fantastic, but at the same time we could sort of, we need to do something with it to make it groove more. And I don't, you know, and that's, as, and as long as you're open to having other people coming in and producing your stuff, then, then, then uh, there's a possibility to make better music, right? So that's how it started. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I really can't remember that much from that song in particular because it was based on his okay. and I just helped him in my way perfect the, the guitar part of, of that song but for the song Blindfolded which was written on this okay. on this guitar it was based on the tuning which was really weird right so this is a drop G tuning okay and that's how I wrote that riff so that was totally based on the tuning and and, and then okay. that whole song came straight out of having a guitar that is tuned in a new way. So this is a seven string guitar, that was super nerdy stuff, but that we have usually tuned in A, but we dropped the last lowest string to G, which is super, uh -huh. super heavy, right? And then all of a sudden, some part of my brain woke up and said, ah, I never heard this part before, you know, and that's how that song started. And then it pretty much writes itself. So what um, do you generally like write some music parts and then lay a melody on top of it or do you ever like sort of write the melody and then put drop some chords underneath it to fill it out a bit good question no i always write a, a vocal melody or whatever melody i want if it's a keyboard melody, on top of something else so it's not like i start with i don't have a vocal line and then i write music around it that usually i don't think that ever happened in evergreen uh, for other music and stuff it did but for evergreen no it's usually based on some you know, chord prog progression, and then I start to hum, <laughs> sound like an idiot into this phone, and then I come home and it's like, and you can only record, you know, your voice also. So I have to say that this is based on melody number four. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, it's so stupid, but uh, it works for me. It's a lovely process that I really also appreciate being able to do because I figured it out now. So I start humming, and then this hums turn in my brain turns into words. 
So when it's time to write lyrics out of them, I sort of hum them in a way that sounds like words, right? And what the hell word is that, you know? And then you, know, you have to find the out Swedish what the song is about. Swedish chef style. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of birds in there, right? Goddamn. <laughs> Yeah, but a that's, a, that's how it works. doing the Sweeting Chef. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you're you're kind of improvising gibberish, and then the words kind of come. And the words don't come until when I sit down and write the last part of the vocal melodies. Then I write the words. But then for me, already this gibberish, the Swedish Chef gibberish, sounds like words in my head, at least, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I should maybe should, maybe I should release those ideas on albums. This is the, <laughs> without any lyrics. That would be awesome. The Orphean Testament Swedish yes. Chef version. Snoobity booty. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would pay good fucking money to hear that. Good ass think, money. Well, Sign me up. There will be have to be a lot of money for me to give that up. Yeah, I bet. Well, you know, but people I I know tons of people who are held back greatly by not wanting to feel stupid and they won't even by themselves in their bedroom won't do that kind of thing and and people don't understand how important it is to just to completely lose all uh whatever the word is you know like don't feel weird about it you gotta just shit it out of your mouth yeah. and it's gonna suck at first and then it gets better it it, it comes into form a- after a while and um like you said, you've been doing it for so long. You don't feel weird about, you know, mouth jamming into your phone on a walk in the Swedish wilderness somewhere. Well, um, I mean, I do when I get home. It's like, what the hell is this? And if what if somebody saw me and, you know, whatever. But it doesn't matter because that's where the magic happens, I think, in music making. It happens when you can't explain it. Where does it come from? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. It comes from my brain, I hope. <laughs> or I'm being sort of abducted and somebody plants uh, vocal and melodies into my head every night, you know. Yeah. And then you ha- then you've been crediting the songwriting all wrong. There's somebody else that should be exactly. getting royalties. Yeah. Might have a problem soon. <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to show up in a little spaceship be like, "Dude, Bro, did you write my goddamn you money? You didn't put me on ASCAP?" Oh. <laughs> that sucks. Lawsuit. Okay, so you're always top lining on something that you've already got that leads me to a question at as a band with some pretty technical guitar stuff does it get to be a problem when you've written something and like you have to play it and sing it at the same time yes all the time but (laughs) at the same time at the same time that's also one of those things that you can't think of beforehand right while being in this composing process you need to be inspired by everything and not think about anything that will hinder you, right? So just like you said, don't be afraid. Look like a native. Don't look, don't look in the mirror while doing the vocal melodies, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> you will look like a jerk, right? <laughs> you probably are, are a jerk. Yeah, but you know. So make it easy on yourself. <laughs> Turn off the lights if you need, you know. But uh, <laughs> you need to sort of let go of everything in order for the great stuff to come. At least that's how I've perceived it throughout the years. Not saying yeah. that I've written any great stuff, but according to myself, but yeah. So you're, but you're never considering the live performance aspect of it as you're writing. You don't go, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not even gonna, 
No. You, you're like, I'll just, I'll do the Bon Jovi and put the guitar behind me and let Henrik. I do, I do, I do that live now, which is great. <laughs> For the songs where I can't figure it out, mm -hmm. it's still going to be most important to present the song in the way that it will sound great live, right? It would I mean, it would suck if I started playing his stuff and it would suck because I can't play it, right? It makes more sense for me to sing it only. And there are songs that I that are too complicated for me to sing. But it also added a dynamic live where I do let go with the guitar and just sing. And then I come in on the chorus or the bridge or whatever it might be. And that gives another push, like it does on an album, basically. You raise the you know, volume for, for dBs and when everything kicks in. So I'm the kick-in guy. <laughs> the kick-in guy. So do you guys uh, work with a producer at any point, like an outside producer um, at any point during the process? Once you've got it, the song's kind of where you want them. You guys are completely doing it all, all uh, just you guys producing it. Yeah, but then we also have like our go-to friends that I think we we, we, we sort of trust. That we, I, I have a bunch of them, Vikram uh, Shankar, which is my duo guy in my other band, Silent Skies. I go to him a lot and ask him, what do you think about this? And I have a, another friend called Simone Molarone, who's a guitar player in, in a band called DJM. I ask him a lot. And then I ask my daughter a lot about the vocal melodies, if she what she digs and if it sounds too boomer or, or if it's a... <laughs> you sound like an old man, Do, Pop. Does it slap? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All of those questions. but and, and then, of course, back and forth with each other as well. But sometimes it, it's more valuable to have somebody on the outside that you really trust uh, and you really trust uh, that person's musicianship and skills and know-how that you can ask that will tell you that, dude, sometimes they even say, I would even change that note to this note. And that, oh, wow, that's what I was going for, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of credit to go to, to especially these two guys for me. Uh, that I mentioned. So, but yeah. Do you have anyone like that who is not a musician? Do you ask any like normies? Well, my wife is not. My my wife is just um, sort of. She just likes music. Uh, she's not uh, particularly talented <laughs> singing or anything like that. And, and she knows uh, I won't hurt her feelings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god! Well, and then when I'm playing stuff <laughs> to on her the couch tonight. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. It's the couch for this week, I think. But yeah. <laughs> but I mean, when I ask her. I ask her as because she's representing like eighty percent of the audience, right? That that don't care about all these fucking nerdy stuff and what chord is this? She cares about what it brings her. You know, what do I feel when I listen to this song? And sometimes she's like, "Well, that was great." I was like, <laughs> "Cut that song." <laughs> so and, and she, there you go. I, this is funny because the the blindfolded, which was the last video we did for this album, mm -hmm. that was chosen by the young people at Napalm Records and my wife who's pretty young and my daughter who's also very young so so all of these young kids I said this is by far the best song and we in the band were like what the hell is this we didn't feel anything remotely close to what they were feeling for this song outside of being super happy with it but you know so it was so we let them decide and the and the label was yeah let's go with the let's go with the kids <laughs> <laughs> It's a smart choice. They're uh, they might not have as much money as the older guys, but they'll uh, get they get the money from their parents, and then they vote with that. You know what I mean? So uh, that's cool. So you, ha it's almost like it's a, a little test audience, a little uh, focus group. Yeah, and I think that's if if you if you can allow yourself to do that with your music, because it's I mean it's a very personal thing to be a 
music writer. Uh, of course, everybody knows that. Who is writing music? It's so naked. It's so sort of, what's the word? You put yourself out there so much. At least I feel that I do. Uh, so that when you give it to somebody else to judge what you spent five months on, and they're going to judge it in the next 30 seconds, right? That's what's going to happen right now. And they're like, I don't know, do I go fuck yourself? You know, it's like you just want to <laughs> sometimes punch them in the face. But no, that's when you sort of have to understand that, yeah, maybe you're wrong or maybe it's not uh, the, the right idea or whatever. Maybe this song wasn't for them. That can also be the case, right? So it's a balance of all of these things to make ma- make an album that you're... That we're that we are super happy with, and that's the f- that's the only thing we're interested in in a sense first, and and then you know when we have done everything that we feel that we can do, in order to make sure that we are right about our own ideas, then then it's time to let it go. So by the time it reaches the stores and like now, like Monday after release, it's for us it's been a done project for for such a long time already. Yeah, that's hard. You've recorded it how how long ago at this point? And by this time, I'm sure you've gone through the whole cycle of being excited about it and then getting sick of it and hating it and then eventually coming back around to liking it again. I don't know. Where are you at with that right now? Yeah, that's why you also sound pretty obnoxious when you don't know what song it is because I don't want to I don't want to listen to them. When we finished the production, which we did in like whatever, when, when was that? Probably like December, January, December actually, before Christmas. Wow. Then I don't want to listen to it like eight times a week up until now because I'm doing interviews and talking about stuff. I want to feel excited about them. So I start listening to them pretty much like a week before starting the promotion so I know what the hell I'm talking about. But yeah. sometimes I don't know what the song is. Oh, which song is that? And it's not because I'm super... I'm, I'm not trying to be obnoxious. I'm just, I'm, I'm not that interested in the music anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the? I'm, honestly, I'm on to the next thing. I'm on to the you're next thing. You're on to the next one. Yes. Yeah, you're already. For damn sure. L- let's, <laughs> let's do an interview about that. Yeah. We'll it's going great. <laughs> it's going great? Great. Yeah. Is there anything that you did on, on this one that is completely different from any other album that you've done before? Something that you didn't do before or maybe even something small yes something big actually you know since it wasn't the start of the in the midst of this pandemic period we also felt like we lost touch with our fans like every other band felt as well i guess you're not touring you're not get, getting that <laughs> immediate feedback from anyone that you need and love you know so so what we did was and it was based on the fact that i was recording my ideas on my iphone and one day i was this sounds pretty good you know this probably could work you know if I have all of our audience send in their contributions to the song Save Us, singing Save Us, then we'll put them on the album. And that's what we did. So I, th- I don't know how many hundreds of, of them we put on the album, but they're on there and their names are all in the booklet as the background singers. And, and that was a way for us to sort of con- reconnect with our fans and say, hey, do you remember us? Uh, you want to do this? Uh, so that's that's one thing that we did, which is on there, which is super cool. It sounds super massive and uh, very unique in a, in a sense to do that. I feel too. And then we also have a song called Midwinter Calls because in the midst of the pandemic, all of a sudden Sweden opened up again, and we got to play like three shows. So that's when we were recording the album as well. So then we took advantage of that and recorded live audience in Gothenburg, our hometown, hometown. And uh, so they are on the song Midwinter Calls, singing a song they never heard, just singing to a melody that we played before, and then we stopped playing it, and they sang, and then we did, repeated that a bunch of times, back and forth, both in Gothenburg wow. and Stockholm. 
So they are on the album as well. So we have a live audience on a studio album, which is super cool. <laughs> that is cool. That is such an interesting uh, way to do that. Yeah. I heard off the dome, I can think of one other time I've heard of something like that. Joe Satriani did a thing where he got a bunch of people in a room and he would play a lick and then have them sing it back and they got like progressively more and more complicated so he's like it got um i don't remember what the song is called but that's a great opportunity way to just jump on that so you'd already written the song and then you were like hey we might as well get the audience in on that wow yeah we've written this song and there's this vocal but oh, oh, oh you know and it's like mm-hmm. this needs to be sung by like a hockey audience you know so yeah and, wait a minute we're playing a show like in two weeks let's record them so that's what we did yeah it's awesome it's also awesome for them to have something great to sort of remember from this dark time period right so yeah at least we had an album that we sort of released <laughs> Yeah, it's something to show for yourself. So uh, any other things that you did in the process of, of writing the songs that you hadn't done before? Anything unusual? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's unusual, but it is that fact that I said before that we, 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 we made sure that when we had an idea that we were set on, that we recorded it then and there. So, so that Johan and Jonas, the drummer and bass, could have full freedom to do whatever they want without interfering with any of the other instruments, you know, which is a... And then they controlled themselves in the studio. They had this laptop controlling a big-ass SSL desk, but they were sitting and doing it themselves. No engineers. So they played through wow. the songs like five times, and it's like, should we record it? And then they recorded it, you know. So and so, what you hear is the live takes of that. And if there was something that was fucked up or whatever, they re-recorded only that part, you know. So, but all of yeah, all of their stuff is recorded together in the same room. So it's cool. Wow. So the damn that gives it a, a different feel, doesn't it? It's it's bands are always talking about wanting to capture the live feel in the studio. It's pretty brave these days. I mean, you just have to know your shit. You have sure. to be. You have to be on your really on your game to do it yeah, um, yeah but if you can it it i think it gives it a certain special edge and also i mean especially since we i mean the guitar players and the keyboards and the vocals and all of that is recorded onto drum machines and program drums and and whatever so we just recorded to click and whatever we had right mm-hmm. but nowadays we have been doing this for such a long time so we know how to groove to a to a programmed drum and also our drums are not programmed like super stiff either you know it's programmed yeah. by the drummer so it sounds like it's not it's no different right so yeah but that also yeah so when they came in and gave that extra live feel to this sort of more strict recording that is what gave the album you know, its sound and what's make it stand out. And I, yeah, I must say I'm super, super proud of this album. So I think you should be. Thank you. Yeah, I am. So you're, you're tracking the, the parts for real as you're sort of coming up with them. That's a lot of commit. You're committing yeah. to the, to the thing as, as it's fresh in your mind. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I think of, about what you said in the beginning of the interview that I'm going to be sort of analyzing my own thoughts about my thought process and my working process a lot. And I'm doing that right now. And I understand that for some people, this sounds totally bonkers, right? That how can you do that and be sure that this is what's going to end up on the album, right? But I think that's what sort of all of these years of music writing and writing for a specific band also for 25 years, that also gives you sort of that backbone and 
somebody asked me, when do you know that a song is done, right? And it's like a conversation. It's like a conversation. I write something, the song tells me you have to do this, talks back to me, basically. And then I try to, you know, perfect something or change that. And when the song is silent and don't talk back to me, that's when I know that it's done, right? So it's a conversation that it's gone silent. And then we have a sort of a mutual agreement that this is it. This is, this is it, yeah? That's the most perfect thing that anybody's ever said on this fucking podcast. <laughs> well, you only had 16 episodes. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just hit me like a ton of fucking bricks, dude. When the conversation goes silent. Hot damn, dude. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Ooh, hoo, hoo. That's why I do this, dude. That kind of shit right there. Awesome. Man, let's go to some audience questions because I have not done this yet, but I wanted to see what the, you know, what the viewers wanted to know. So I'm, I'm going to grab a couple questions out of the chat here. Let's see. Great. What's a good one? Jesse Parrish wants to know if you guys are going to tour the USA soon. Oh my God. I hope so. I, I was... I'm sort of starving for being at a Wendy's, you know. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> no, but oh, I mean, man. yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we've done a fair amount of touring in the, in America and in North America. So yes, as soon as possible. It's not making it easier now that the the visa stuff is getting more and more complicated. But what our plan is to do because we're doing this like four day show tour in Europe in the fall, and then we have to come back to the U.S. in I I hope February March looking into different options, but of course, yes. Awesome. Um, let's see. John Toth wants to know, uh, can you speak about your new signature comparison guitar coming out? Any specs that you can divulge? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be based uh, on a guitar which is called Dellinger Prominence because that's also why mm -hmm. I've been working with comparison for 20 years, this year or next year, whatever. So... I'm loving the guitars, you know, that that's the thing. I don't want to change too much of the guitar other than sort of color and some features on the neck and some placements for a volume knob, but I don't want to I don't want to exchange like let's take away all of the comparison mics and put Simmer Duncan's or Demarge in, in them because I don't because I am happy with this, right? That's why I play mm -hmm. the guitar. The, Right. And uh, so we're working on the details. I want to make sure that we get get a guitar that is slightly different to make it sort of represent me. But at the same time, I'm also representing comparison guitars. And I really, again, love the guitars. And I've been using them for every recording for, for the last 20 years. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't want to change anything, really, you know? Yeah, you're probably very comfortable with the way they've been and you're so used to it. So it's... You know, put your name on it and call it a day. And they, well, sound, cool. they sound in a certain way and they feel in a certain way. And that has sort of become, you know, there's like a muscle memory. <laughs> when you play mm -hmm. guitar, you, you know stuff because your muscle remembers them. But there's also like a sound memory. And uh, and when, you, when when I hear a note of a, git, of a guitar, this sounds so nerdy and weird, but it's the truth. I couldn't I couldn't work with another guitar company because I've been working with this company for such a long time that this is my sound, you know. So I, even if uh, Gibson came and say, "Yeah, well, we will give you the next Les Paul, and you can do whatever the whatever you want with it," I was like, "Well, can I just bring my my comparison?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I'm super happy. Time. I'm super stoked. I think it's, but it's gonna be a while. Probably if we can have it ready for this time next year to have all the details in place, that that would be awesome. That's that's our aim. Great. Looking forward to that too. Me too. <laughs> Uh, Jet Guitars wonders what song you are most proud of 
at the moment and why? Is it from all of the, all of all of the songs? I would say from the new album. Okay, uh, from the new album, I think one of the songs that has sort of I think it's a, it's, it's a song called Ominous. And I don't know why, but it's also because of this new down-tuned element. And we also use this neural plugin, the Gujira stuff, where you can add a lower octave on the lowest fucking drop G tuning. Oh, yeah. So it's like, doesn't make any sense, but it's like <laughs> something is happening there, you know, in the, in the depth of the guitar sound. So, yeah, that really hits me hard. Uh, I think that's, on this album, that's the song that I'm most proud of. Absolutely. And uh, it's also probably featuring one of my best guitar solos that I ever played and written and recorded. So Awesome. Carter Estill had a question that I actually was thinking about as well. And he says, Tom, why did you choose Wildfire to close the record? It's a very bold choice for something that's so stark, I thought. Yeah, for I mean, for us, it was, uh, was, wasn't me choosing it, actually. It was key, keyboard player Rickard. It's his fault. No, <laughs> but, <laughs> no but it also made, made it a lot of sense because it's a quite intense album all the way through. And then you get to this 10th song that sort of gives you a breather and sort of, what the hell was I just listening to for the first 45 minutes of this album? And then you can hit play again. But I mean, it's a, I think it's a lovely ending to a... To, to, it gives you five minutes of contemplation of your experience with the, with the album. At least that's how I would love for people to experience the album, listening to it from song one to song ten. I know that's not going to happen, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that even in a world of singles, this kind of music lends itself to album listening. I yeah, think, there's a lot of people that know, are listening to it that way. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that uh, I think that actually kind of encourages it because you get to the end and you go like, wow, this is a very profound, like deep, stark moment. And it's 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 a nice downer not a downer like a like a bummer, but it's like, a, it, you know, it brings the mood to a certain introspective place. And then you go like, all right. Fuck! I gotta bring it back up. Let's run, let's run that back again. Yeah, <laughs> you know the whole thing. exactly. And it's like for me, it's like it's that last chord of a show in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it's like second, thank you, good night. And we're out, and people are feeling a bit sad about it. And we we are too. And but on a CD, you can hit play again. So it's uh, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> okay, also. Lustosa <laughs> uh, wants to know, where does the greatest inspiration for your lyrics come from? From the happiest or saddest moments? <laughs> well, if you listen to Evergrey uh, at all, <laughs> you would think that you would know that uh, it's from the saddest moments. But with that said, before I wrote from a perspective of desperation and sadness more, and I, today I write about the same subjects, but from a, from a position of strength and self-confidence and, uh, you know, more in the way that I now today know what, what life did to me to bring me to be the person I am today. And I'm, 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 a, I'm in a good place today and, and uh, I wouldn't want to be without what I've been through. Yeah, I'm curious to know on that same note a little bit of the meaning behind both the title of the album and the lyrics on the title track because it felt like a very pointed title to the point where you had to have two titles the orphean testament must be very important for you to have it be like almost like a hyphenated last name you know i'm curious to know the meaning behind that whole thing if you can give us a little bit. Sure. I mean, the, the first part of the title, the a Heartless Portrait part, is about 
I mean, I've been writing about myself for the last 25 years, right? So it's about me writing about myself in a rather ruthless way sometimes. Uh, that I don't think about when writing it, but that I might think about after the fact. Or when I'm listening to a song like five years later, uh, I, I understand that I was telling myself something at this point in life. So, but nothing more than that. But then, then we also wanted to have this idea of Orpheus, you know, who... who had had the chance to save his loved one from the flames of hell if he just would have looked straight forward, right? And uh, but he couldn't stop himself. <laughs> he just had to turn his head, right? And she went up. And I always thought that was one of the cruelest Greek mythologies. I mean, the Greek mythology is cruel as shit, but that one stuck me so bad. For me, it's like, dude, you fucking suck <laughs> for doing that. Right, so he was like an egotistic bastard in my in, in mm-hmm. my sort of so. But I mean, what does what that does in the title sense is is that it's sort of pointing at the shortcomings of humanity, right? And especially about my own. So it's it's yeah, it's about that. It's and then of course he went around playing sad music for the gods, so they cried. Pretty much, we play sad music and people cry. But in essence, <laughs> it it wasn't. I mean. Other than what I just said in the beginning, it didn't have that much depth. But uh, yeah, I mean that's deep. What? How? How deep do you want to go? That was very deep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty deep. But I mean, it, it's it's uh, yeah, it's about it's about how we are searching for fast solutions. Today. A lot of the album today is about how we how we are chasing something that we don't even know what it is, right? If people say go left, we go left, and we don't know why we're going left, right? And for kids today, or for younger people, or for people that are less fortunate and can't even you know, afford to go to a university and educate yourself and, uh, so you can sort of learn to criticize media and where you get your information and how Twitter and Facebook and Instagram rules our worlds and we don't know why, you know, we, ju- we just know that we're going to buy this damn thing and we don't know how, uh, we don't have a clue why, you know, and uh, I think that's, I think that's, uh, I think that's sad and I think that's something that I'm also contributing to as a musician, as, you know, I make my livelihood on selling myself on all these medias that I just mentioned, right? But that's why I want to urge people to make sure that you know who you are. Find out who you are before someone tells you who to be, right? Uh, and uh, I understand that that's extremely hard and very easy to say when you're my age. But as long as you have so- some sort of thought in the back of your head that, ah, I wanna, might want to check myself or check what I, where I get the information. or Because people today don't... Kids today don't look up to fucking politicians, right? They look up to who looks coolest on Instagram. Right? Or whatever. TikTok, whatever it is today, right? So yeah. if we would urge all the Justin Bieber fans to go and end the war in Russia, he would have fucking one billion girls going in there and fucking slaying, right? And that would be that. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Two days. Justin Bieber's army of girls, yeah. the next uh, world power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is a world power. He has I such mean, an, I think BT, the BTS army did something like like that crashed some uh, some internet uh, polls and I don't remember what it was, but they, I think you make a great point, which is that as artists and musicians, we have people's attention and it's there's something that we should be saying when we've got it, you know, like hey, like you know, you're listening to the song, you're you're thinking about the person who made it. Um, like you're gonna listen to what they have to say. That's what. That's kind of the point. 
Um, I mean, so, it, yeah, sure. And I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sort of be lecturing people with my lyrics ever, but if you want to listen, there is something there that I have put, spent time on, you know, that I want to say that is important for me at least. And if you, if you want to dig into that, I will, I can probably promise you that it will add another perspective onto the, your music listening. Because when I discovered that myself, when I started listening to lyrics of like Pink Floyd or Europe even, you know, what is he saying here? Why is he so sad? You know, that adds an element of, of quality to, it's like, then that gives it that movie feature for me, you know, it, it, it makes it like a flick before my inner eye in a sense, right? Yeah. So on a sort of similar note, talking about how, yeah, being told who you are, you know, by someone, there's also an element of where influence is extremely important. And somebody uh, had asked about the influences of the of of the band, but I'm mostly curious to know about influences maybe that you picked up during this time or anything that you were listening to that had some kind of impact on the songs for this album or or even just stuff that you were enjoying listening to at the time. Here comes a really boring answer, unfortunately, because the only time I listen to music is when I travel or when I'm on tour, because if I'm not traveling, I'm in here doing, making music, right? And then by the end of the day, I'm fed up with music and I don't want to listen. Mm -hmm. And then I get inspired if I hear music in a, in a movie or whatever, you know? So for me, I think it's rather I've been inspired by other stuff that I've been involved with, right? And that sounds so ego-centered in a sense, but it, it's the truth, right? So I've had, the, I have this other band called Silent Skies where it's me and Vikram Shankar and we, it's sort of atmospheric movie score music with vocals, right? And me and him also write music for video games, like we've done uh, music for like the Evil Dead game now and, and uh, all, all of that stuff. So that also inspired that. And all of these things inspire each other, right? So all of a sudden I found myself singing with a, like a falsetto voice on the Evergrey album. You will hear it in Save Us, for instance. And that comes from me singing like that in Silent Skies, right? Elements in Silent Skies gets a lot of elements that we put into all of these World War Z game we also did and uh, yeah we done I mean we, I think we've done like four or five games this this year this last year so it's, wow uh, but uh, not only us we're working with a super huge team but uh, yeah we contributed a lot to 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 these games yes that's amazing I did not know that at all yeah damn that's something that I would like love to get into that sounds like so much fun actually I'm a little curious because you brought up your falsetto and s singing in certain styles and stuff I've always loved your you have this hmm, I'm gonna call it a like a looseness like a this sort a very particular inflection and rhythmic way that you sing that is very very comfortable feeling it's compared to other metal singers that I've heard who tend to be very very precise have this sort of like very on the beat almost grid like rhythmic quality you have this laid back a little bit of a bluesy kind of a sound um i don't i don't really know how else to describe it does that come from anywhere in particular uh of s singers you've listened to or 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 anything like that or is that just i mean dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I get the question but i don't know i mean it's like for me too 
I mean, I listen to Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. I'm not sounding like him that much, but you know. Right. <laughs> but he was yeah. one of the first things that led me to start playing guitar and singing and all that. And same with David Gilmore for Pink Floyd, but also, you know, Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden and, and Joey Tempest from Europe mm -hmm. and Glenn Benton from D Side and, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all of so yeah. it's. I don't have. I don't know. Okay. I think there that, wasn't any anybody that maybe that you were emulating early on that that came out of. It's just no. I figured out you. I couldn't emulate okay. anyone. I think that's the. <laughs> it was like, we want to play the like Dream Theater, and it's like we can't do that. Obviously, you know. So fuck that. Let's do something else. I want to sing like Klaus Mine in Scorpions. I can't do that. Let's do something else. You know that works. So, but again, that's that's where we're back to find yourself, right? And I f found very early that I couldn't sound like anybody else, which was a blessing for me. It is a blessing for me now, right? So, uh, because if you're searching for your inner voice, if, if you're searching for your identity as a musician, that's something that I remember said in the first review I read about Evergrey. They have their own sound. It might have been shit, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but I took it as a compliment. You want two things. You want a really unique sound, and you want it to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, you you do have that, but that's you know you've developed that a lot. And I think it's funny to hear that that you were kind of like, oh man, I wish I could sing like X singer or whatever. And now there's all these people, including myself, who wish they could sing like you. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's like, so weird. <laughs> that's crazy, right? I mean, I didn't um, even refer to myself as a singer up until the fifth album. I was like, yeah, I yeah. play guitar and everything. Oh, yeah, and I sing, too. <laughs> yes, I'm yeah. the, uh, it's actually me who's the singer, too, yes. Um, well, it, it, sometimes it just takes that kind of a kick in the ass, you know? I feel like I read somewhere that you... Am I crazy that you had another singer and they left and you were just like, all right, I guess I'll try it out. I was actually like a bass player who told me, why don't you sing? You write all the melodies anyway. But I, I was like, oh, God. And it was like, honestly, like four... four I don't, Two, okay, so two to four weeks before the first album recording. That's when he quit. And he probably oh. didn't quit. I, pr I think he also probably told us, I won't be doing the album. But we didn't. Uh, well, of course he will be doing an album. I mean, this is in 96, right? So everybody wants to do an album. But yeah. No, so he quit. So, so my then wife uh, taught me something, I guess. And, and, and then I stood in there. And at that time, you also recorded onto you know, tape, right? So you had to sing like the whole thing, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so... Yeah, I fainted after each verse. <laughs> well, I think that's amazing, and I think it's worked out pretty well uh, for you because here you are. Not only does it, it does, is your voice amazing; I love listening to you sing. But it's also you, it's also very unique. It's, I think especially in metal, and I think I think the thing that you do is something that metal needs more of. Honestly, like I don't hear that kind of inflection and feeling in a lot of. In a lot of metal singers, hear you hear a lot of thank you so much. A lot, a lot of uh, too much power, which you've got a lot of power, but it's so I don't know refined and like uh, I, fuck. I, anyway, I'm I'm not gonna um <laughs> I'm not gonna gush too much, but that to me is like it's I think you've hit that unique and great and super like stylistically. You sounds like things that I've heard before, but not you don't sound like anybody else, if that makes any sense. Thank you. That's very kind of you, actually. I think that a lot of people want to try to sound like someone else. And I think that's a great place to start as long as yeah. you then take it to some place like you have where it's it's just you with influence. But that's where you hit the right thing there. There are singers that you can hear that have a great voice, but it doesn't sound like their voice. You know what I'm saying? So you listen to them, it's like, 
and then they talk maybe it's like oh what the hell you added a persona which is fine i guess i don't know but i don't know how to do that and i don't know how to sing high pitched i don't know how to do growls i don't know how this is how i sound and i'm happy with how i sound and and uh, yeah that's it well also if you can sing like a bunch of other people it probably would be hard to decide as you're writing a song, like, oh, how am I going to, you know, if, if if I could sing like Justin Bieber and Cannibal Corpse and, you know, uh, like a hundred other people, then I sit down to write a song and I'm like, what's my identity? What's the identity of the band or whatever? Yeah. You sit down, you know what your voice is. You've been doing it for 25 years. You know what the song's going to sound like when you sing it. Yeah. That's, I think that's cooler, really. <laughs> it is. But it's also, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I did know that when I was back in the you know, first or second or third, as I said, like fifth album, I was still extremely insecure about, but that doesn't mean that you can make great things. Music making and uh, songwriting for me is still that urge of writing the next song. It's only about the next song for me. Uh, it's about discovering and rediscovering things within yourself and within music making that, that makes me strive and makes me want to do the next chord. That's... I mean, it's amazing that you can be doing something today. I'm doing the same thing now that I did was when I was 19, right? So it's, it's the exact same thing. Nothing changed. The same dreams. Well, I earn a little bit more money right now than I did when I was 19. <laughs> and I, I'm in a better place, uh, you know, feeling great about myself and all of that stuff. But, but uh, in the pure musical sense, where as far as inspiration goes. And I think, I still believe that we were gonna conquer the world. I still believe that. Because I've, if I don't believe it, nobody else will believe it, right? So, and then if I put it in a more logical sense, then I of course know that we won't be like Metallica. But, you know, I, I, I still want to. And that's why I should keep striving to towards that goal, right? Yes. And I think what you said earlier too about, for example, um, having to write certain things. Okay, you got to write something, even if it's not going to be, even if it's not going to wind up on the album or ever get used or ever heard or anything. You have to clear the palette. You have to get it out. You have to get it down and move on. And the, um, and that can be true on a much broader, larger career level as well. Um, you know, there even if it's you know your thirteen albums in album fourteen could be your biggest one. Could be the one that matters the most. That even um, but whether it's the greatest one you ever did or the biggest hit or whatever, or the biggest personally satisfying thing that you've done, you had to get all of the rest of it out to get to that point. And that's just true in life, uh, not to get too philosophical, but you, you mentioned the same thing earlier. Like you, um, you know, you had to do all of that to get where you literally are sitting right now. Yeah. Like you said, well, you're making more money than you were when you were 19. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and believing that you could be the next Metallica is extremely important to even getting, to even writing the next word. Yeah, or <laughs> even if you, your next goal is that you want to buy this or that guitar or, uh, or even, you know, today at least you can afford to listen to music. Before you had to buy music all the time when I was growing up, right? And that was hard. I want to buy that album so much that I had to work, you know, delivering papers or whatever it was, right? So, but I mean, Yes, striving is everything, and I think we have, without exaggeration, 200 song ideas in the computer that we could play to you guys, and you would say this would be a, this would be a perfectly fine Evergrey song, right? But it's us who have to feel that it's a perfect song, and every time we start a new recording period for a new album, we listen to all of these ideas, and we sit there like, 
damn, dude, why didn't we record this part? This is fantastic. And then everybody's like, yeah, why didn't we record this part? And then it's like, are we going to use it? And everybody's like, no. Because music, and this is where we become sort of pop in a sense, because music for us has to be contemporary. We, we write about stuff that portrays how we feel and who we are at that exact moment, which is great. So I have 13 diaries of my life in every album, right? So when you have something that is two years old, that's how I felt two, two years ago, right? So it doesn't represent me anymore. In a band like Evergrey, it means everything to be sincere and write about stuff that... I talk about human experience a lot, right? And then mm -hmm. I can't be fake myself. I have to be talking about the things that I feel today. Yeah. Do you have any advice for someone writing their first song or somebody starting out maybe who's has written a little bit here or there like any real solid actionable advice that somebody can take the first one is go to work if you don't have inspiration inspiration is not something that you sit in a sofa and wait for and then it comes it can but it usually comes when you're working when you have your tools in your hands right that's when your brain starts to sort of, sort of accommodate that sense of, okay, we're going somewhere, right? So mm -hmm. that's the first thing. And the second thing is, is, is create a vibe for yourself. We did that a lot. We did that for an album called Storm Within. Uh, we had these video screens up on the wall just showing storms and stormy oceans. And same for the Atlantic album. We just watched that over and over again to create this headspace for ourselves that you know, set the tone. Oh, this feels like we're, you know, we, we felt like we were making music to the movie Interstellar, right? And then we went and recorded the music videos in Iceland where they recorded the movie Interstellar. So that sort of, and we, of course, I understand we were very lucky to be able to do that. But, you know, all of these things that inspire you, find out what inspires you and that can give you that vibe to write for 8, 12, 14 hours that day. And don't write too long is my second uh, advice. <laughs> Stop after eight, ten hours because that will benefit you eight o'clock in the morning next day. All right. So surround yourself with the vibe of what you're going for. Yeah, whatever it might be. If you want to write like uh, Beach Boy stuff, go to California, right? If you want to write about murder or death, go to Iceland. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Iceland. It's the best place in the world. But you know, you gotta be. If if I want to go. Somewhere. If ocean inspires you, go sit by the ocean, right? Right. Or or at least look at the ocean on on a on a on your phone, something. <laughs> the guitarist uh, Angel Vivaldi was writing an album about each song is like a different kind of brain chemical, like adrenaline and all that. And he completely repainted his apartment a different color as he was writing each one, which I think is pretty over the top. But at the same time, whatever it takes. Yeah, I hope he had a small apartment, it. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it was uh, not huge, but still, goddamn. I don't, I don't want to paint it once. <laughs> no, exactly. But that's commitment. That's also a thing. Committing to something is super important. You can't write a great song half-assed. I mean, uh, of course, there are always going to be songs that have been written in the world that are... Uh, billboard number one is that oh I wrote this in two and a half seconds and I didn't care about it and whatever yeah okay good for you usually that doesn't happen right so you have to put your all into it and by that I mean you can have fun doing that for eight hours and that's your all uh, yeah it, it shouldn't the one that comes in five seconds doesn't come until you've written 300 that took your soul probably <laughs> at least for me <laughs> i still haven't got that <laughs> you know number <laughs> one hit so 
but some of them come easier than yeah, others. Yeah, sure. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And some, even if you get a, I remember the first vocal line was uh, where I was super happy and I understood that this is something. I wrote a song called Nosferatu uh, and I had this vocal melody. Call off your angels and I was like, dude, did I write that? It's like, I was so happy with myself. It was like, good for me, you know? <laughs> uh, and I knew at the time that it would be a song that would affect our audience and me. And, you know, so yeah. It's awesome when those things happen. Yeah, but you have to be receptive to them. You, if you, uh, if you aren't in a headspace where you're being creative, they might hit you, and you might go like, I don't know, like, or it just you won't have primed the pump for that for them to come out. That's what I find, anyways. Exactly. I mean, I mean that that priming thing. That that's it. And that priming can be ten days of writing shit that won't end up anywhere. But then I know that I'm one day closer to writing that good stuff, right? So yes. I'm going to write a book of these fucking things based <laughs> good, on these good. glorious me, man. <laughs> little nuggets from Tom England. Um, Thank you. Oh, some real good ones today. You talk about doing the work. How often are you doing that? Do you write every single day? If I'm not on tour, uh, now we've been away doing like these release shows for for the album uh, this weekend, so I didn't write today. I'm worn out a bit. But that also, that also goes hand in hand with having knowledge about what to do and when, in a sense, to make your, yourself work in the best possible way. Uh, I'm fortunate not to be only doing this. Uh, so I know that if I rest today, I will be there tomorrow and do stuff, you know. So uh, when I'm home, yes, I, 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 we, I write something for something every day, uh, either the video games or Silent Skies or the next Heavy Grey album. And I'm also in a band called Redemption, you know, so so we also so this last 18 months, I think I've done six albums and five video games and and, you know, so it's <laughs> yeah, Damn. busy days. Do you, do you write at all for other artists who um, are not yourself? I write a lot of uh, stuff for uh, fans and for uh, that want me on their albums. I participate as much as I can. I do charge, absolutely, but... Uh, it's As the, you should. Yeah, but but uh, it's so great because it, it gives me so much outside of... Uh, it's. I mean, it's a symbolic amount of money, but being able to step into somebody else's creative world and, you know, take part of that and maybe a young mind even. I remember this guy from Australia. He was like 14 years old and his dad paid for me to be on the album. And it was so super... super what do you call it? Juvenile and young and uh, eager and all of that stuff you, that uh-huh. you don't have yourself. But you got to be a part of that. Step into his world and, uh, you know, it's like amazing. And I try to make the best out of his vocal ideas. Or, and some people want me to write vocal ideas, you know. And, and yeah. So, yeah, I do all kinds of stuff. That's incredibly inspiring and very refreshing to hear. But also a great look into the into the reality of being a musician and a, a full-time musician of any kind you you're doing all of this stuff probably running yourself ragged but right but writing every day it's your job you're going at it and uh, writing for all your different projects and um, being in demand it's got its own set of challenges but that's to me that's a dream yeah I mean at the same time a carpenter goes to work eight hours per day right so what the hell is different with me 
Yeah, he doesn't sit on stage in Corbin, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want—I became a musician so that I wouldn't have to have a real job. I want to work three hours a day, but instead, it, I work from when I wake up until I go to sleep. And I should have been a dentist. <laughs> and that's what all of these things give me. You know, all of these different income streams—they mm -hmm. give me freedom to do all of the things that I really need to spend time on without sort of ha having it wear me myself out. You know. So what, what this album did in comparison to the, all of the other albums was that we had time this time, right? We had time on our hands to do an album. We didn't have to tour and didn't. By didn't, I mean it. And, you know, we, we love to tour, but it's always we're on a time constraint all the time, right? We, you yeah. have to do this, then you have to travel to this, which is amazing. It's an amazing life to live. But as far as being a musician, I would like to have 48 hours per day, right? Or 48 uh, months per year. <laughs> Then yep. I could do it like we did now, because now we could go up at eight and uh, write, like I told you, and then I stop writing at five, and then I go in and hang with, with my wife and my kids, right? And, 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 and I get to be a good person in that aspect as well, which helps the inspiration, which helps all of the music making. And uh, if I'm being super egotistic, but in a positive sense, then that's what's going to bring you guys the best music for me, right? Because I've been the best I can at all times. And, and, uh, but if you compare that to being on tour and coming home and being worn out because you've been traveling for such a long time and then takes seven days to sort of get into a normal sense of uh, the world, hanging with, the, <laughs> hanging with your family, but I mean, spending time with your family, you want to be top notch, yeah. right? Yeah, but I was very seldom that back in the day. So that's what that got us this time. We, 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 so therefore, this album came very easily. For a little bit of a blessing in a dark time, a, a getting a good, getting something out of it, even though it was, it was rough. For us, it was the best time ever in terms of musicianship and inspiration. Uh, but now we got two great albums that we have to tour on. So we're going to be away for nine years <laughs> now. <so. laughs> you're never going to Your wife's never going to be like, what happened? We were had so much time. And now Where, are you? Where are no, you? No, it's, it's the opposite. I married a rock musician. I thought you were going to be away for like half of the time, right? Yeah, exactly. You're get, being get home an awful lot. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> She's sick of you. Yes. Your kids are like, Dad, go out on tour again. Who Mom's are you? Leave crazy. our house. Right, exactly. <laughs> that guy who used to come around just sometimes now he's here all the time <laughs> i hope it's me they're talking about <laughs> <laughs> you really hope so oh geez uh, the plumber guy yeah <laughs> the plumber well tom this has been amazing yes it's been great so many wonderful little gems and great stories and such a, a deep look into the process of how you write songs we could do this for for another 10 hours but you need to do the get back to doing the thing and i won't hold you forever so um the new album is out now a heartless portrait the orphean testament yes oh i said it right <laughs> i you was like it. you got it oh don't fuck it up <laughs> it's it's out as of friday there are several great music videos um that you can go check out for the singles and it turned out super great um i've been listening to it a lot and y'all at home stream that shit go see Evergrey when they come to your country um it's a great it's a great live show and 
Tom is very excited to bring it to you, I'm sure. <laughs> for, for the next coming nine years, yes. <laughs> for the next nine years. <laughs> this album and the last one, go see him play. Um, anything, uh, anything that you want to add that where people can check out? No, I mean, I just want to make sure that people do check it out because I, th- I often get the perception that people have a preconceived idea of what Evergrey is and never heard us. And all this, it's this dark German power metal band. But I mean, it's not. <laughs> go check out a few songs Uh, on video if you don't like that you won't like it it's fine move on do us the courtesy at least to listen to it and then we'd love to see hashtag make evergrey the next metallica yes there we are (laughs) let me see that hashtag in the comments make evergrey metallica help us (laughs) save us save us (laughs) (laughs) all right my man uh so nice to talk to you hope to see you very soon um if you if you make it out here, I'll uh, I'll come say what's up. Absolutely, thanks so much for having me. Be sure to subscribe to the How Songs Are Made podcast on your favorite podcast platform for weekly episodes. And if you're interested in seeing these episodes recorded live, I stream the interviews every Monday at 11 a.m. PST on the Gear Gods YouTube channel. Big thanks to today's sponsor, DistroKid. Head over to distrokid.com/vip/gg for seven percent off your first year.